Hello, my rebels. Today, I take you through some of the blockades in Canada, shutting down our economy, laying off literally thousands of railway workers. And I show you, well, a handful of Alberta boys who said, you know what? Nah, let's clear off a blockade ourselves. A couple of Alberta mums who uh, put some blockaders in their place. It's great, great, great footage. We'll have that for you in a moment. Uh, before I uh, get to that, let me invite you to subscribe to the video version of this podcast. Go to premium.rebelnews.com. Uh, you got to see these videos. You got to see these wonderful Alberta guys taking care of business in a way that the RCMP wouldn't. All right, here's the show. Tonight, a handful of Alberta men remove an illegal railroad blockade that the RCMP wouldn't, and the media goes nuts. It's February 20th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. There are a lot of illegal blockades in Canada. They claim to be Aboriginal. They claim to be in solidarity with a small Aboriginal community in northern BC called the Wet'suwet'en. They claim those Wet'suwet'en Indian bands don't want a pipeline called Coastal Gas Link to be built. But that's a lie from the beginning, and it remains a lie no matter how many times Trudeau's CBC state broadcaster repeats it. In fact, all 20 of the Wet'suwet'en bands along the route Support the pipeline, not 18 out of 20 or 19 out of 20, 20 out of 20. In fact, many of those Wet'suwet'en members, including band elders, filed affidavits with the court asking for an injunction against a handful of criminals who were blocking pipeline construction. Let me say that again. The Wet'suwet'en Indians themselves asked the court to kick out the lying criminal losers, most of whom weren't even Aboriginal or even from BC, and the court agreed, granting yet another injunction. That was over Christmas. Here's a few actual Wet'suwet'en Indians calling out the impersonators. I showed you this before, but I want to show it to you again, and I'll probably show it to you again in the future, since you will not see this on the CBC. I'm just a regular guy, I want to work like this. This project is gonna have, what, 10,000 employees now, if we interrupt one little part of it, it's going to erupt the whole line. And that's a lot of, you know, 10,000 people is a lot of families and businesses that are going to be affected. And so, people don't believe how crazy this can get. And so these, these organizers of this really slick, well-funded campaign, they know exactly what they're doing. So when they're going to tell the, the, the rest of Canada, you know, oh, oh my God, look at all the RCMP you know, all this violence of the RCMP, that's not happening. It'll bring a lot of jobs for people down, down the road for our community that want to work. And uh, there's a conflict between some certain people that which don't even have an idea where our trap lines and who owns the territory and which area are thinking that they know it all and they're stepping in saying 
They don't even know diddly squat about our territory and then meanwhile they're putting on roadblocks and so forth and that's uncalled for. I like that Vernon Mitchell guy. I like that guy a lot. He speaks honestly, he speaks the truth about these guys who know quote diddly squat about him, which is why you won't see him on the CBC, but you'll see the fake masked protesters on TV. That makes me mad. I like that Vernon Mitchell. Anyways, as you know, we sent our own reporter, Kean Bexty, up there. It was so cold, you could see it was like minus 30 that day, minus 40. We sent him up there to the original pipeline blockade about a month ago, and we managed to identify a few of the protesters who were actually blocking the Look at that guy. Look at that guy. He's not Indian. He's not even from British Columbia. They were professional protesters brought in from Ontario. He ain't Indian. He's about as Indian as me. But you see, that's contrary to the official narrative in Canada, at least according to Trudeau's CBC state broadcaster and, frankly, most of the rest of the media party. Aboriginals have to read from a certain script. They have to be victims or they have to be revolutionaries or something. The idea that some Aboriginal people can simply be prosperous and successful and happy in their own lives without government to save them from evil corporations. In fact, perhaps saved by corporations like the pipeline companies or oil sands that actually give them great, well-paying jobs. That's beyond the imagination of the media party. But the small imaginations of the media party are helped by actors, Hollywood-style actors, people faking it, impersonators, funded by the Tides Foundation, for example. Even though 20 out of 20 with two attained bands support the pipeline, there's a fake Indian group that was two attained Treaty Office Society it's actually a corporation. It has Wet'suwet'en in its name, but you can see it gets its financing from tides to muddy the waters, to pretend to be official. I think some media party journalists know this, but they pretend not to know it. Again, it's the official narrative. Well, all the Tides Foundation-funded groups have decided that this coastal gas link pipeline is the battle. This is the one. I remind you, the coastal gas link pipeline is the name tells you it's not an oil pipeline, it's a natural gas pipeline, which doesn't spill. I mean, it could leak a bit, I guess, at which point you'd turn off the valve and close the pipeline and fix it. It doesn't spill, it's safe. I don't want to scare anybody watching at home, but most Canadians have a natural gas pipeline into your own house. Do you have a gas stove? Do you have a gas water heater? Do you have a gas furnace? That's all this is, natural gas. Very clean burning, as you know, if you have a gas stovetop. That's clean doesn't leave your kitchen full of soot. So natural gas is a weird thing to fight against, especially when all the local Indian bands want it because they'll get all the good jobs building this pipeline right in their community. But it's, it's a test run for the real fight, blocking the expansion of the Trans Mountain Pipeline. That pipeline has been quietly and safely pumping away for the better part of a century, actually. Here's some footage of it being built so long ago uh, that it's in black and white. It was quite an engineering achievement way back when. I think the strategy is to try to stop this coastal gas link pipeline now, which is owned by a private company and the route really doesn't go by any protesters. And like I say, all the local Indian bands love it. So try to stop that, the coastal gas link. And if they're successful, great, bonus. But if not, well, at least they tried out their battle plan for the big fight to come. They've radicalized people. They've practiced their tactics. They've seen how their enemies and their allies respond. Just like the raid on Dieppe in 1942 was a disaster. Do you, do you remember that? Um, the Canadians tried to land in France, but the 
Allies learned a lot from that disastrous raid that was applied to the main raid, the massive raid, the largest raid in history, D-Day, Operation Overlord, on another French beach two years later. So that's what this coastal gas link is. It's a test run. But so far, it's not a disaster for them. It's working out amazing for them. Protests across Canada, shutting down streets, shutting down Via Rail in the east, hundreds of layoffs at CN Rail, at Via Rail, paralyzing the country's key infrastructure. Mark Garneau, maybe the only grown-up in the Trudeau cabinet, talked about dangerous rail blockades. I showed you this clip before, but let me refresh your memory. I have concerns with respect to uh, safety here. Uh, there have been instances uh, with the, the railroads where people have um, climbed on uh, railway cars. Uh, that happened over the weekend. There have been instances where unexpected, uh, an unexpected blockade was put in, in an area where a train was, was at, in fact operating and the railway company was not aware of that. And that can be extremely dangerous uh, when a train is coming along. You know the trains in Canada are long, they're big, they're heavy, they're large, they can't stop on a dime. And uh, there have also been uh, instances of tampering as well on the railways. And, and one that concerns me particularly is, uh, is uh, disabling the signalization, the signaling that occurs at a, at, a, at a road crossing. So these are things that I would urge Canadians. Uh, we accept peaceful pro pro protests in this country and demonstrations that are peaceful and lawful, but it is concerning uh, if people aren't respecting the fact that they can not only injure themselves, but they can injure other people. Tampering. That's not protest, friends. When you tamper with railways, that's not a protest. And would you look at this? Three derailed trains just in the last few days. February 14th, the other one was February 19th, yesterday. Why isn't this front page news? I mean, maybe it's a coincidence. <laughs> maybe it's just an accident. Three trains derailed, right? Uh, when they're blockading trains, tampering trains. Maybe, but when you literally have calls to block trains, when you have sabotage, when you're tampering with signals, when you have heavy things placed on the rails, how could it not be investigated as eco-terrorism when they're saying they're doing it? Well, because Justin Trudeau is on the other side of this. When Andrew Scheer, the lame duck conservative leader, said anything mildly critical about the illegal blockades, Trudeau canceled his participation in meetings, calling his comments unacceptable, banned him, simply banned him from an all-party meeting. About an hour ago, I had a meeting with uh, Mr. Singh, Mr. Blanchette, and Ms. May uh, to discuss how uh, this government is working to uh, engage in peaceful resolution of uh, this situation. Mr. Schiller uh, disqualified himself from uh, constructive discussions with his unacceptable speech earlier today. Hmm. Of course, Andrew Scheer was not participating was not speaking in his personal capacity or his private capacity, but rather as the leader of the opposition, the leader of the party who actually won the most votes in the last election. I'm not making the Hillary Clinton complaint that Scheer should be prime minister. I'm saying that Scheer has some legitimacy in our parliamentary system. And when Justin Trudeau simply says his ideas are unacceptable, he's really saying that millions of Canadians, basically the whole of Western Canada is unacceptable. 
But the Bloc Québécois is not unacceptable. They're part of Trudeau's new anti-oil, anti-Alberta coalition. But back to my first point, the court ruling from British Columbia over the Christmas break. There are countless court orders for these blockaders across the country to be cleared out. They're, they're court orders. The, to defy them is contempt of court. There are other court orders ordering the police to enforce the first court orders. And then there's this dusty old law called the Criminal Code of Canada, like Section 51, the law against intimidating Parliament. Even mischief or trespass, that covers pretty much every blockade in the country. We already have the law, and yet the police just stand by? Because the RCMP commissioner's hand-picked Trudeau gender quota hire, she does what he tells her to do, no arrests at all, none. So yesterday this happened, a railway blockade in northern Alberta. That's illegal, that's dangerous, and the RCMP literally just stood there. So some real men in Alberta decided to do something about it. Take a look. Hard-working, yeah, oil patch workers cleaning up the mess. That's right. Is this your work? Oh, it's intention on my country's train tracks. Excuse me, coming through. Coming through. Sorry. Those guys are amazing. No violence, no crime. It's sort of the opposite. They were clearing off a dangerous illegal blockade from a railway line. The RCMP weren't. Obviously, the media weren't. It was peaceful. It was amazing. And the cowardly protesters, they knew better than to fight these beef-eating Alberta boys and Alberta girls. We're not worried about this We're worried about actually having a world that's livable. You, you get to decide for them? No, you, don't, you know who gets to decide? The scientific community. Then you should take your masks off so everybody can see who you are. Yeah. Why are you here? If you're not ashamed, yeah. take them off. If you're not ashamed, yeah. remove your mask. I'm so, not ashamed. The reason why we mask up is because there's a lot of people on Twitter right now threatening a great deal of violence against us. Huh. Those two moms had more balls than the eunuch RCMP Trudeau cops standing there. I'm sorry to say it. Sorry to say it. I grew up admiring the police. It's a little bit tough to admire the police when a couple of moms have more balls than the RCMP. I'm sorry. It was amazing. No need to hire a lawyer to run to the court for an injunction that would just be ignored. Neutered cops. Just bring in some oil patch guys in a truck, give them some work gloves, and have a couple moms to scold the masked cowards. Apparently the hero in one of these vids uh, who was clearing the junk. His name's Guy Simpson. That was the only name I saw. Um, if anyone knows how to contact Guy Simpson, let me know. Here's a tweet I put out yesterday saying, I want to send the guy a case of beer and the nation's thanks. So if you know Guy Simpson, um, have him email me, Ezra at rebelnews.com. We'll send him some beer. And I want all the Guy Simpsons of the world to know that if they are arrested, by Trudeau's police. This is another tweet I put out yesterday. Free lawyer, any nonviolent Canadian who does what Trudeau's cowardly police won't do and dismantles these illegal blockades on roads and railways will receive a free lawyer paid for by Rebel News if police arrest you for taking out the trash. We will provide a civil liberties lawyer for 
them free of charge. That's a promise. And look at the front page of the National Post today. Look at that. Guy Simpson and his buddies, heroes. And look at that. Do you see that quote there? Peter McKay, you see right, right above the picture, there's a quote from Peter McKay. He tweeted in support of these peaceful problem solvers. Here's his tweet. He said, not really that dramatic, pretty obvious. I mean, it's pretty obvious. A couple of Albertans. He said, glad to see a couple Albertans with a pickup truck can do more for our economy in an afternoon than Justin Trudeau could in four years. And then, and then, I kid you not, Peter McKay deleted that. Because Andrew Coyne, <laughs> the Toronto Red Tory, he just said, seriously? Did you just, did you just, are you serious? And he called it vigilantism. Those Alberta boys, vigilantes. And there was a few seconds of Twitter embarrassment for Peter McKay, so he actually deleted that tweet. National Post still put it on the front page. I used to be chums with Andrew Coyne back in the day. He's not much of an outdoorsy type. He's not really a work gloves kind of guy. His hands are as soft as a newborn baby's bottom. He doesn't have much time for men who do physical things like clear debris off railroad track. So he calls them vigilantes. Yeah, no, no. Vigilantes would have thrown those masked thugs in the back of their truck, uh, driven them out of sight of the media, and um, given them a bit of a tune-up. Uh, those Alberta boys were not violent. They weren't even verbally mean. They just cleaned up a blockade. That is not vigilantism. That's a highway cleanup crew. That's heroes. I mean, maybe it would help Andrew Coyne if he imagined an illegal blockade of outside his favorite Starbucks. Maybe he could puzzle his way through that. But Peter McKay literally deleted his tweet at the first puff of protest. What a coward he is, I'm so embarrassed. But now look, I see that the RCMP has negotiated with the criminals who are currently violating the court order up there in Northern BC. And they've apparently agreed to withdraw. The police have agreed to obey the criminals, not to obey the 20 out of 20 Indian men who want the criminals gone, but rather the criminals themselves. That's the state of Canada in 2020. That's the police in 2020. That's the courts. That's the rule of law. Expect more Alberta boys fixing problems with their own hands. And yeah, unfortunately, with the police now in full retreat, you might actually see some real vigilantism too. I don't support it. I don't want it, but I understand it. Remember this footage from the United Kingdom when Extinction Rebellion shut down the trains there Look at that. People said, you know what? The cops aren't helping. We'll do this ourselves. When the RCMP, whose actual motto is maintain the law, maintain the law, uphold the law, when they no longer uphold the law, expect law-abiding citizens to do so. And no, I don't expect law-abiding citizens to obey criminals or obey Trudeau either. Stay with us for more on this with Manny Montenegrino. Welcome back. Well, I feel like I'm very much engaged in these stories. I, I take them almost personally, I think, especially things that I feel like I've been shouting into the wind about for many years, like foreign meddling in Canadian environmental matters. I, I, it's, it's no good feeling 
to have been an unheeded prophet, like a Cassandra, as uh, the uh, mythological person who could see the future, but no one would believe her if you know that story. Um, so I feel like I'm caught up in it. And uh, it's useful sometimes to get the big picture strategic view. You know what I mean? Like pull the camera back to 30,000 feet, calmly assess everything. And one of my favorite guys who has an uncanny ability to do that, whether we're talking about Canada-US relations, intergovernmental affairs in Canada, is a fellow who I think got his savvy both by working as a businessman, a lawyer, and a senior advisor to former Prime Minister Stephen Harper. You know who I'm talking about, our friend Manny Montenegrino, CEO of Think Sharp, and he joins us now via Skype from his Ottawa office. Manny, great to see you again. You sent me a very interesting note the other day that pointed out, according to the Angus Reid survey, for the first time, support for the Trans Mountain expansion pipeline is sagging, and um, it's below a majority. Give me your thoughts on that and how you tie that to the recent coastal gas link pipeline protests. Yeah, no, I, I've always been saying that it is the primary interest of this prime minister and the government, guided by Gerald Butts, is to stop what, wherever and whenever possible any type of oil or gas development. And this is just part of it. And if you rag the puck long enough, and you keep preaching the message, uh, people will lose interest in all types of pipelines, and, I, and it's working to its favor. Uh, the, the, the blockades are a great example of it. Uh, I mean, Ezra, the short history, uh, the, 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 this, this pipeline got approval by the National Energy Board some five or six years ago. And from that, there was 157 uh, really strong binding conditions. So the National Energy Board, with a robust law that we have in Canada, almost crippled the project, but there was 157 conditions. That then got appealed to the federal court. Seven court, federal court challenges, four indigenous uh, First Nations challenges. And that took a while to wind through the courts. And it finally got through the courts, and it took so long that, that the prime minister bought the, 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 the uh, pipeline for $4.5 billion. That's now estimated to be, it's going to cost around $12 billion. Well, it makes sense. The delay and costs and all, there is no one doing any accounting. And, and let me put it to you, when the prime minister bought this pipeline in May of 2018, he, had, he finds out 30 days later that the pipeline was denied by the court. And there was a simple solution that was to appeal to the Supreme Court of Canada because everything was done right. Well, he chose not to appeal and chose to add another year and a half of delay. And that was he's going to consult. Well, fine. That's a decision he's made on behalf of Canadians. And we spent a year and a half consulting to the point that we have now all, every Indigenous uh, group, nation on this pipeline, all their elected council agreed to it. Well, we're off. Well, we're off. Well, we're not. Because some hereditary chiefs say no. And where does the prime minister stay, stand on that position? He doesn't sit there and say, well, hold on. This is a 10-year process. We've done everything. We've applied the law. We've consulted. We, we did everything that we possibly could. We must now move on and effectively 
enforce the rule of law, but he doesn't. It's going to negotiate. And this is very, very costly and certainly adds more uncertainty to Canada's business community. And I do believe that it, it is a plan, like anything that one one raccoon on, on the way will, will stop this project. The prime minister will sit there and stop it. So it's to me, it's part of a whole process when you look at it. And I'm surprised that no one's looking at the totality of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the main pipeline process that you referred to with all the conditions, all those things, that's the Trans Mountain expansion. That's the oil pipeline. The progress right. in the last day have nominally been about the coastal gas link, natural gas pipeline. But right. yeah, as we showed when we sent a reporter out to the protest, they don't know what they're protesting. They're just against oil and gas and pipelines and anything industrial. It's so blurry in the minds of the public. And that's why I think this whole coastal gas link protest extravaganza is a precursor. I think it's basically the environmental extremists test drive their, uh, you know, try out their tactics and see how the government responds on Coastal GasLink because their real big battle is to kill that Trans Mountain oil pipeline. I think you're exactly right. And the public is getting fatigued by this. The public is getting stressed by this chaos and anarchy. My question to you, Manny, is will a stressed out public seeing lawlessness and blockades and barriers and canceled trains, will they say, ah, the heck with it, give these protesters what they want, or will they say, the heck with this, crack down on these lawbreakers? Which way will it break? Well, I, I think, you know, I think there's a lot of confusion in Canadians. Canadians are a very fair-minded people, a very kind people. And here, Ezra, what I don't understand is why there hasn't been a complete overlook of what's happened in the last five years or six years. In the last few years, we had the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And they, it was a very expensive in the tens of millions of dollars. And they came up with 94 recommendations. Some of them were, I would think, an way reaching recommendation. This government, Canada, every Canadian through their government accepted all the recommendations. That was a big leap forward. Second of all, we had the murdered and missing Indigenous women uh, uh, commission. That also cost, I think, close to $100 million, years of, of, of complete discussion and everything. And we've accepted every finding in it. We also have the prime minister apologizing for the last few hundred years to almost every First Nation. That was done. Yeah, we all, he, we've he said not, that we committed a genocide. I, well, a that, shocking yeah. statement that re, it has legal meaning. It's not just saying, oh, I'm sorry we were wrong or bad, or, but to say we were guilty of a genocide, that's a very specific confession to a very specific legal atrocity. Right. And that was one of my points. That was a huge statement by the prime minister on behalf of Canadians. So here you have these three big events. Then we have the Supreme Court and within the government saying we have an absolute positive duty to consult every First Nation. That's a big leap. And then what did we do in this new government? We created two ministers two ministries for Indigenous Affairs. We actually have two ministries. That's a big move. So here I, you know, Canadians, 
some Canadians, the majority, are asking, wait a minute. We've done possibly everything we can do. We've done uh, these five items that I've uh, mentioned. We've done everything possible. We've consulted. You know, Ezra, delays in consulting add millions of dollars to projects. And But we've consulted. We've got the approval. And we now have a situation where some hereditary chiefs are against what the elected chiefs wanted. I mean, this is beyond absurd. I think Canada, I mean, through its governments, and particularly this government, has done what it possibly can. And I think Canadians are confused. You're saying, well, wait a minute. Do we have to have an agreement with every individual First Nation member? Or, or, or can we not rely at least on the chiefs? There are councils there. You know there's a dozen major organizations or major uh, Indigenous organizations that represent Indigenous bands throughout Canada. They are representing, I mean, who, when does this end? Yeah. Well, one of the weirdest things is that the individual people with whom the RCMP and the uh, and Mark Miller, the Indigenous Affairs Minister, are, are meeting with directly, they didn't meet with the 20 Wet'suwet'en First Nations who approved this coastal gasoline pipeline. They met with individual status Indians, just an ordinary guy who was standing right. in a blockade. And in, in one case in Ontario, they met with a guy who was charged by the Aboriginal police themselves as an illegal drug dealer. So I, I find it absurd that just literally any, I'm going to use the word thug, because if you're just a, someone who's like a drug dealer on an Indian band and the Indian police themselves arrest you, um, for you to have hours of one-on-one -on -one time with the, with the Indian minister is so shocking to me. I find it so strange. And the only explanation is that Trudeau does not regard these lawbreakers as adverse parties. He doesn't regard himself in a conflict with them, but rather he regards them as his street teams, his stalking horses, the people getting the result he wants, in this case, canceling pipelines. I, I think Trudeau knows he couldn't himself cancel yet more pipelines, but if he can create a fuss in the courts or on the streets or with blockades, then he can throw up his hand and say, well, I tried, but we don't want another OCA. So guys, what can I do? We got to shut down the pipelines. I think he's actually in some sort of collusion. And I say that because so many of his senior inside staff from Gerald Butts on down worked with these anti-oil protesters for a decade. Yeah, and you know, you may be right. And whether it's an intentional collusion or it's just manna from heaven for, for, for butts and for the prime ministers to stop anything related to oil and gas, uh, it, it, whatever the results are the same. You know, Ezra, the evidence is there. This blockade is now two weeks. And, you know, the finance minister was asked uh, by Pierre Polivare, a wonderful question in, in the committee, what does this cost? And the finance minister didn't even answer. Well, you know what? Here's what it costs. Uh, about 12% of Canada's GDP goes by rail. That's about 200 to $250 billion. Uh, it, assume that this blockade lasts just a month. It looks, we're into the two weeks, now the third week. We, it, but assume one month, which is about 10% of the year. That's $25 billion worth of GDP over a year. And then if you calculate it even further, how many people are employed 
when you're trying to produce $25 billion, it's about 1% of Canada's population. Now, we've heard about the layoffs at CN. Uh, we've heard about, you know, there's a few thousand people, but there's a lot of people that are staying at home, whether they be farmers, they're kind of self-unemployed right now until this ends, or whether they work in the propane business or any other business that works with rail, they're not working on it. And that's about, and I've calculated, it's about 1% of Canada's workforce that has now been put out of work. 1% of Canada's workforce is 200,000 people. Well, there are 200... And we only yeah. had growth of about 1% in, uh, in recent quarters. That's enough to tip the entire country in a recession. If you've got 1% of the economy being idled, and we were only growing at about 1% a year, that is literally enough to put us into a recession. Well, it's, that's the big picture, but I'm going to, when you created the case, is the prime minister doing this intentionally? I'm, I, you know, what I'm amazed about is how we seem to get up in the morning and forget everything that's happened the last couple of years. I watched the election. I watched what I saw, what I thought as a lawyer, and I read the obstruction of justice section of the criminal code. And in my opinion, as well as five attorney generals in Canada, one liberal attorney general, the prime minister broke the law. He broke the law with SNC-Lavalin and with, and he stood strongly and told Canadians right through the election that, and this included the firing of attorney general, which would have got any president impeached. But this, he stood up and he broke, he, almost proudly said, I broke the law because I was working for jobs. Mm -hmm. I helped the corrupt uh, corrupt SNC-Lavalin because there are 6,000 jobs. Now, we heard even the SNC CEO say, well, no jobs involved. But even if we give them benefit of the doubt, there are maybe a few hundred jobs or a few thousand jobs that would have been lost. Let's give him that. He stood up and was prepared to break the law to do it for a few hundred jobs or a few thousand jobs, but he's not prepared to enforce the law right. for about 200,000 jobs. Yeah. It just, you know, Ezra, when I look at that, you know, I, I, you know, maybe people forgot what happened a few months ago during the election. Maybe people forgot what happened about a year ago right now when the attorney general, the liberal attorney general said, there is so much pressure, I see obstruction of justice, and we saw her getting fired. Maybe we forget all that. But when I look at the totality of it, it clearly says, wait a minute, what happened to jobs? Jobs was so important that you were prepared to break the law. Jobs were so important. You, you know, you were prepared to do something and you didn't do it. So it tells me that screams to me that it, his, his real modus operandi is to kill anything, particularly from the West, yeah. but anything anything that's oil and gas, because, you know, where are these 200,000 jobs? Uh, and, you know, that's about 30 or 40 times more than SNC-Lavalin that are being affected for the next month. Uh, where, where is the cry? Where is the media's protection with respect to that statement? Yeah. I tell you, Manny, it, it boggles my mind. Um, Pierre Trudeau, Justin's father, was against the oil patch, but he didn't actually want to shut it down. He just wanted to take the money from it. The National Energy uh, Program, it's, it had taxes and it, and it was clearly designed to stop the movement of capital from Quebec and Ontario to Alberta, but I don't think Trudeau actually wanted to shut down the industry. Um, like any good communist, he wanted to own the means of production. I mean, he created Petro-Canada, 
um, because he wanted to nationalize it. That's different than shutting it down. I'm boggled by the fact that Trudeau truly wants to block things, shut them down. He doesn't want the means of production to be owned by the proletariat. He doesn't want any means of production. It's the strangest thing. And the fact that he yesterday, or two days ago, said he would exclude Andrew Scheer, the leader of the Conservatives, from a high-level meeting of party leaders to solve this. What is that other than a formal or an informal coalition between the Liberals, the, the Bloc Québécois, and the NDP? When, when he chooses the Bloc and the NDP and locks out the representative for the West and Conservatives, I think we're in troubled times, but the media has been so neutered by the massive media bailout these shockingly huge things are happening with very little commentary. I don't know. I find it very depressing, Manny. Last word to you. Uh, yeah, excellent point. You have, in that last election, I think the Liberals received about 32% of the vote. The Conservatives received more. The plurality of votes, they received close to 6.2 million votes to exclude the Conservatives from the discussion, who actually represent the two areas that the Liberals don't. They don't have a voice out West in those two provinces. To exclude them and to have the Bloc, and with the greatest respect, the Bloc want to create mischief in Canada. Because if there's mischief and there's seeds of dissent, whether it be Alberta separation, this helps the Bloc on their ultimate path, which is separation. You, I know I saw a picture on the Internet uh, that was uh, tweeted by, by the minister, and I saw that the Bloc... Um, the, the, the leader of the Bloc Party was sitting at the right-hand side of Justin Trudeau in his meeting with the rest of the people that are disinterested in the West and disinterested in oil, oil and gas. It just tells me he was very sad. If you want to solve, like, you know, when I had problems and I wanted to solve things, I didn't have people in the room that said the same thing as me. I had people that had different ideas. And the different idea, the majority of people do, through their different ideas, is through the Conservative Party. And not to have that person in the room, not to have the leader, you know, Andrew Scheer of the Conservative Party in that room, tells me that you want one outcome alone, and that is to keep killing oil and gas. Yeah, I find this very sad. Uh, this is a battle that I have, in my own way, been talking about for a decade since I published the book Ethical Oil. Yes. And I'm uh, very sad to say that our side is losing, but at least we will document it more honestly, perhaps, than some of the state-run or state-rented media. Manny, it's always great to catch up with you. Thank great. you very much for your time today. All right, no problem. Thank you. Great to see you again. By the way, if you want to spend some time with Manny and me and our other rebel personalities, may I invite you to sign up for our summertime cruise. We're sailing out of Vancouver. We're going to Alaska. Now, you'd think that's very cold. Well, in July, it's great. I've done it before. It's a wonderful cruise. And you can find out more at rebelnewscruise.com. Hope to see you there. Stay with us. More Head on the Rebel. Hey, what do you think of those Alberta boys? Uh, I spoke to Sheila Gunn-Reed a couple hours ago, and she's off to meet a couple of these guys. I haven't been able to locate Guy Simpson yet, but we found a few other guys who were part of that cleanup crew. So Sheila's going out with some cases of beer for them and to talk to them. We'll have that probably tomorrow. She's just arranging with those guys. Some of them are working guys, so they don't 
uh, they're not able to talk to Sheila until after work. Unlike those paid protesters, these guys actually have to do stuff. So we'll have more for you on this. I'm really proud of those guys. They didn't rise to the bait of the insults by the blockaders. They didn't get physical. They just calmly, peacefully removed the trash. What a great example for the whole country. Peter McKay, there was a flicker of recognition in him that something good was going on, but he knew his place when the Toronto Tories said, you be quiet now. Vigilantism. Is taking dangerous garbage off a railroad track vigilantism? I don't think so. But hey, uh, it's Alberta. Any a chance to insult them. Folks, that's our show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, good night. And keep fighting for freedom.